Welcome back to the Understanding Men podcast, which is basically two guys talking about the things that men could, but don't talk about anywhere near enough. I'm Luke Sutton, and I'm with my great friend, Fraser Franks. And thank you again for joining us for this episode. I have to say, this feels like a big one for me. We've had so many messages to talk about the topic we are. And Fraser and I have wanted to talk about it a lot. So we're going to talk about being a father and fatherhood and everything around that. It's obviously both as Fraser and I, as dads, as fathers, it's hugely important to us. But what came loud and clear from people who've been listening to the podcast, it's it's also really important to men out there to talk about it and, and for us to have some conversations around it, which is amazing. But before we dive into that... To my co-host Fraser, how are you? How are you? How's the heart ticking along? <laughs> it's ticking, it's ticking very loud, which I'm still getting used to. But I'm hoping you can probably even tell in my voice that you know, day by day, I'm getting, I'm getting much stronger, and the the recovery's coming along well. And I've had the best few days um, in that recovery. I've managed to finally get a bit of sleep which just I knew how important sleep was before but just on a whole new level now and yeah I feel I feel much much better much much stronger so yeah thank you for asking. Awesome and, and Fraser how are you feeling about today's topic fatherhood? Yeah I think when you know we we talked about a list of topics before and this was the one that that I was probably most excited to talk about. I feel like I've got a lot of thoughts around it and for me, this is my biggest job in life and my biggest priority. So it's always number one for me. And I I love listening to other people's experiences. I think we all know it isn't it isn't an easy job, you know, for for a mom or a dad and whatever kind of situation that is. Um, but I love listening to people's experiences, and I'm sure I'll learn a lot myself, even just talking to you. And I have done before, you know, knowing that the family that you have. But it's, yeah, it's definitely one that I'm really excited to talk about. Yeah, and and before we start, I, do, I, I just want to say as well, hopefully it comes across loud and clear in everything that we're doing, but we don't sit here as like, we have all the answers, you know, we're the perfect fathers, we've done it perfectly the whole way through. We're not, we're, we're just, we're just sharing our experiences and the things we've learned and it's very much that kind of interactive conversation of, of as a community discussing it. And working out what what seems right and what doesn't seem right and what doesn't make sense and all of those things and and today is very very much going to be about that. I wanted just to start by posing a question and I, I'll I normally for most podcasts I go to Fraser straight away and put him on the spot and I thought today I'll I'll save him and I'll go first but. I wanted to put some questions to give us a bit of structure around what we're going to talk about today. And the first question I wanted to ask both of us is what is the biggest lesson we've learned about being a dad? So I would say my biggest lesson is, if I could wrap it into a sentence, is you don't own your children. And I need to explain that. We all use the, the phrase, my children, don't we? You know, someone says, how are your children? My children, it, you know, it's, it's obviously a normal way of phrasing it. But my experience comes from the fact that 
I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. My ex-wife has an awesome partner, Dom. And my experience comes from all of that collective fatherhoodness. I don't even know if that's the right phrase. And I've really learned that being a dad isn't about you being the only voice that they hear and you being the only influence and, and also you demanding that you're the only particularly male voice that they hear or particularly other advice or whatever goes on around their, their environment. But it, it's taught me that as a father, I'm there to guide through my experience 100% and, and children need that guidance and particularly young boys need a, a good role model in their father. It's very important. Boys and girls, no question of it. And that's super important. But I don't own my children. So I can't sit here and go, okay, I've got life not entirely worked out. I'm trying to work it out myself real time. Some things make sense. Some things don't make sense, which is being human. And at the same time, go to my children. This is the only way that you have to live your life, according to me. I can't in one hand say, I'm working it out. and In the other hand, be drilling into my children that this is the only way that you're going to do it because it comes by the, the Bible of Luke Sutton. That, that doesn't add up for me. And, it, and it, it's what I've learned. And the producing of children, and in context, the twins were IVF babies, so I'm well aware of the difficulties of, of having children. But the producing of children is the relatively easy bit. It's the fathering that is the big bit. And it's that bit of knowing that you don't own them. You you just guide them. You give them the, the, the freedom to express themselves, find themselves, give them the guidance, give them the boundaries, teach them of, of things that you've learned. But your shit doesn't become their shit mm. is the easiest way I can describe it. Too often I, I have seen times when almost parents hijack their children so their children become part of their own shit their all of the stuff that's going on in your life suddenly becomes all of their stuff whereas that that's like an ownership it's like you're going to come on this ride with me whether you like it or not whether it's healthy for you or not and actually i know i've said this to you before phrase when we've talked privately my biggest thing that i want my children to know is that their stuff is always more important than my stuff. Always. I don't own them. They, I'm there to guide them, there to let them live their lives and experience things and always, always feel loved, secure, and know that their stuff is much more important than my stuff. Always. And that screams at me in the last few years. Blimey, Luke. How am I supposed to compete with that answer? <laughs> Jeez. It, it really does. And I, I, li- I, I really like it because you're, you know, your children are, are, are older than my, uh, than my little girl. And, um, you know, you'd have experienced a hell, hell of a lot more than I have. But I see this, I, I see that pattern really clearly in other parents. And I, lo- I love that part of, you know, your, your shit doesn't become their shit because I think that's happened you know, generation after generation to many, many families and just you having that awareness. And I've seen, you know, without blowing, blowing smoke too much, I, I've seen how your, how your kids message you or the language they use towards you. And it's just that you use those words, security and comfort. 
and love and that's all that's all that you want that's all I wanted as a child I didn't I didn't have a father figure in my life I didn't have anyone that I felt that even as a man growing up I didn't feel like I had a safety net or someone to go to and that security comfort love that's what you want that's what that's what I needed as a young man growing up and I've seen you know I've seen how you parent and yeah, I thought that was an amazing answer. And thank you for sharing that because I actually didn't know that the twi- the twins were IVF babies as well. And as you said, you know, we tried quite a while for a baby ourselves, but that is the easy part. And, you know, I know it's very, very difficult for a lot of people, but parenting is, you know, is is the role and is the job. But yeah, I I loved listening to that. I really did. And mate, what, what for you, what's, you know, what's been the biggest lesson you've learned about being a dad? Yeah, I was trying to, in the back of my head think of that whilst listening to you <laughs> so I need to I need to have a proper think um but I, I I honestly think that it is removing that picture of what perfect looks like or what you've had in your head growing up I think a lot of us have had an image in our head of you know even as even as a child myself about wanting kids growing up you know I want a son that's going to be a footballer who's going to do this he's going to do that I want a daughter that does this or does that. And and even even as an adult, you know, a young man judging other parents, like, God, my kid's never going to have an iPad at the restaurant table like that, or my kid's never going to... And <laughs> had this like real image of perfection in my head, you know, we're going to be this happy family and we're always going to stay together and, you know, we're going to do this at the weekends and that. And just had this real picture-perfect image of what parenting might look like and knowing that it's fine if it isn't perfect and again not to put your shit on your children's shit you know if if your children aren't interested in what you're interested in it's fine that's that's their that's their journey and not to force them down a certain path because in your head that's what you've always wanted your son to do or you've always wanted your daughter to do and I think it really springs to mind because I had a it's a guy called Ben actually, and he's a really, really good friend of mine. And he won't mind me mentioning this, but he um he had a Down syndrome little boy, and before the little boy was born, he just had the most amazing conversation with me, and he just said all the things that he had dreamt of, you know, of being a father and having a son and that, and he just said it's all bullshit. Like that's all the stuff. It's all bullshit. That's all you know, being the the kid that plays football or does sports or does this or does that. And he said, that's not the reason why I've always wanted to be a dad. And when I strip it back to why I've always wanted to be a dad, it's so that, you know, I've got, you know, a bloodline so that I've got someone that I can absolutely love and care for and be there for. And he said, if I strip away all the other external rubbish, whatever it might be, that's why I want to be a dad. And it really, it, I, I cried my eyes out when he was when he was talking to me, but it really resonated with me with that point of that image of perfection. And there isn't a perfection, you know, whether you end up, you know, breaking up with your wife or your girlfriend, and that might lead you to feeling like a failure because you're not there every day for your, you know, for your son or your daughter or your kids. But actually, that might be the best thing long term. And it might not be perfect and picture perfect to the outside, but that might allow you to be the best father that you can be or the best person that you can be. 
and you know your children pick up on that so I definitely think you know I've, I've had a little think of it but you know removing that element of perfection it's never going to be perfect it's never going to be exactly what you you wanted in your head but reminding yourself why is it that I wanted to be a parent what is it that I want to instill in these children and what is it that I want them to have that maybe I didn't have or what do I want them to have that I did have because some people had amazing parents and they want to be exactly like that for me amazing amazing mum I didn't really have that father figure so I've always taken that and gone right what didn't I have growing up I want to be everything you know to to my daughter that I can be and you know the words that you use there love comfort security support I want her to come to me with absolutely anything and I know that that's difficult I think you know even that is like a perfect thing in my head when she's a teenager come to me with everything but I know that we all feel that (laughs) I know that as a as a young teenage girl they might not want to come to the dad with everything but just being there and knowing that again another point that you said knowing that no matter what they do they're loved they're not a failure if they don't achieve Mm. a certain thing they're loved the exact same no matter what and um, yeah that's really important to me I think what you said about that the pressure of perfection is um, I think all parents feel that you know it's the reality of parenting is is quite a harsh one when it arrives it's like oh okay this is this is what it's all about and it evolves as over time as they go from babies to school to teenagers etc I think I always sort of fall back on a couple of things is 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 what's going on with me as a father is it about me or is it about them you know I, I, it's a really fundamental question like is what I'm for instance if I'm telling them off in a, in a way is that about me or is it about them is my guidance to them about something is it about me or is it about them you know so it's like say for instance it was a career choice you know they said oh I'd really love to do this when I'm older and in my head I'm like I don't like that job so my guidance therefore is to tell them not to do that because it's about me and it's not about them that's that's what I'm that's what I mean it's that kind of ownership it's like why do we think we can do that that's really Mm. shit you know like that kind of dream busting because it's about us or if our attitude to i know working hard is not very good do we tell our kids don't worry about it don't work hard you know you don't need to work hard is that about us or is it about them you know it's it's if we can get into that level of honesty around what we're doing i think that's super important Mm. but but the other thing is and this really relates to what you're saying about perfection I don't think any of us know what's to come with our kids. What I mean by that is it might be, and, and we'll get onto this in the next point, you know, I'm, I'm, my two children are from a divorced home and I really want to talk about it because it's, it's a big, big thing for me and, and it's big, you know, big part of what we're talking about today. But I don't know, you know, them in years to come, they might turn around and go, do you remember when that happened? I didn't like that. That upset me. That hurt me. Or when you did this, that we don't know. We're just doing our best right now and we don't know. But I'm determined that if if that ever happens, and it's not to say it will, but if it is, I'm there to listen and go, tell me, tell me, rather than just shut it down and go, no, 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 parenting was on my terms. <laughs> I own you. You get used to it. That's the way it is. Rather than give them that voice to go, I didn't, I didn't like it. And I may go, 
okay, I'm listening. But the one thing I can guarantee you is I was trying. I was trying to be the best dad I could be. It doesn't mean I got it right every That mm. point you make about perfection doesn't mean it was perfect every day. But I was trying. And I think those things are so important. I'm coming to you with a question now, my friend. I don't even know if I've pre-warned you about these questions, so I'm putting you on the spot quite badly. There's quite a lot for for really good reasons on social media about mum guilt, you know, and mums feeling a guilt about motherhood when they're they're wanting to get back to work or they're, they're, you know, things like that, which which is really good. But I also think there's a bit of dad guilt that I want to talk about. So my question to you is, is, is what's your biggest dad guilt, Fraser? Yeah, I've I get I get this a lot. I really do. I definitely get it with Well, you feel it a lot. I feel it a lot, yeah. I think cuz my daughter's 4 as well and she just wants me home and she just wants me to play with her all the time. And she is at an age where she can't understand why I'm going out the house to work and she can't understand. She just thinks I'm leaving her or that's what I think she thinks. She just thinks, oh, he's walking out the door and he doesn't really want to be with me. And I really, really explain it and tell her, look, daddy's got to go and do this. And and even just say, like, you know, this is how we, we get toys or how we get to go here or what we do here. Or this is what daddy's going to help other people. And I've really started talking to her about my actual work as well, which which is good. I don't think she remembers too much of it, um, <laughs> but I try and talk to her about it. But I get a real sense of guilt when I leave the house just because I know that she doesn't want me to go. And then the other aspect I get is um, when I am back in the house or even just when I'm, you know, I work from home quite a bit as well. When I'm there, I get a guilt of she's four and she just, she's relentless. Like she wants to play 24-7. She wants me down on the ground playing <laughs> with things. And, and for me to go, I feel like sometimes I'm just going, just in a minute, Nelly, like, just give me, give me five minutes or just give me, and she goes, oh, okay. And she walks away and it's, you know, I love playing with her, but I also need a bit of a break and I need to sit down and I need to, you know, rest myself and stuff like that. So I think, I think leaving the house for work and, and saying no to her, whatever that might be. I think the one that definitely comes to head to head at the moment could just because the age that she's at is, she wants to play and I find myself feeling guilty saying no. I don't find myself feeling guilty saying no when she wants to eat cake for breakfast and stuff like that. <laughs> but I think it's I think it's when I can see how much it means to her to play with her dad and to have her dad around and for me not to be there or just to say, you know, not yet, I'll, I'll do that in a minute. That leaves me then feeling, I look at her little body language and I'm like, oh, and then sometimes I'm like, right, should I just should I just get down there and just do it anyway? But I know the age that she's at, at four years old, that guilt will be completely different. And and I don't really know what that looks like. But for you with a fourteen year old, for other people with, you know, older children, it might be a slightly different aspect. So I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Well, I, I think the the guilt thing you, you're saying I 
if someone could prove this to me uh, that I'm wrong, then I'm very happy to accept it. But every parent, you yeah. know, there's times, you know, that kind of machine gun of mummy, 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 daddy, 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 mm. where you're like, oh, please, you know, not now, not now. We're human. It's normal. If there is a parent out there who is perfectly patient all the time, then you are a saint. <laughs> but the reality is, it's it, everyone feels it. I totally get that. And I remember, you know, when the kids were little, both of them exactly the same and you know that relentless energy to want to play and I, I didn't get it perfectly all the time at all and I felt that guilt exactly the same the thing that I'll, I'll I think I might have shared this with you but I had a friend of mine who once said to me that when your kids get over 12 years old everything flips around you know before the age of 12 they want to spend 90% of their time with you 10% doing some other stuff when they're over 12 it turns itself around. They want to spend 90% of their time away from you, 10% of their time with you. And I was like, no, mate, I'm, I'm really close with my kids. They're going to want to be with me all the time. We've got such a great thing happening here. And, and I never forget this one Saturday morning when I went upstairs to speak to the kids. And I thought we, we often like go out for brunch or something like that. We love going out for lunch together or whatever it might be. And I'm trying to think how old they would have been. They're 14 now. Maybe they were 13 and I went upstairs and, and said to my son, oh, do you fancy going out for lunch or brunch today? And he was like, well, I'm, I'm going to go and, um, you know, meet my mates in the park. And I was like, oh, right, OK, cool. You got you got your phone, you got money. He's like, yeah, yeah, all good. No problems. And I was like, OK. So then I went to, down the corridor to see my daughter and I said, uh, do you fancy going out for lunch today? And she said, uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm meeting my friends in town. Uh, so no. And I said, oh, okay, uh, have you got your phone? Have you got money? She's like, yeah, yeah, all good. <laughs> so, mate, I walked, I remember walking back downstairs and sat down in the lounge and I thought, what am I going to do? And I started like flicking through Netflix, trying to find, <laughs> trying to, trying to find something to watch. And I was like, I, and it was, it was such a weird experience of where you have the machine gun, daddy, mm. daddy, 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 you know, you're fighting for time, aren't you? And then suddenly, I, I was given this time and I, it felt so alien at the time. And honestly, I had a little bit of, I was a bit upset. I had a little bit of mourning around it. and it, But in a beautiful way, because it was a reflection of the kids becoming real people, you know, not real people, you know, become, getting more grown up and doing their more independent. And it was beautiful. And that just for them to be so calm and organized and everything around, it was great. But it was just... It was just the, the difference. So, mate, that is how it changes. I'll go on to my biggest dad guilt, which is related a little bit to what was already been talked about. Now, I've been divorced for, I'm not exactly sure. I was trying to remember just before we, we came on the podcast, but around five years, maybe a little bit longer than five years. And and my biggest dad guilt has, has, um, has been around that for my kids, for Albie and Emily, because... It's imperfect, you know, mm. it's imperfect for them. And I've worried about that, I think, until only just recently. I've worried about that for them. How's it affecting them? How's their view on life? Do they feel secure? Do they feel loved? All of those things, because it's imperfect and I have the conversation with them many times, you know, and obviously they're, they're, they'll be 15 next year. They're really emotionally mature and about this imperfection around it. And has it affected them or not affected them? And I 
in a, in some ways it tortures me a little bit. That's a little bit too strong to say it tortures me. That that's, but in some ways it's it's always there. But I actually think it's a good thing because I I this is going to sound mad and and I and I don't even know if I feel that proud saying it. But I feel like this experience has made me a better dad. Because when the kids were there all the time, it was just they were there all the time, you know? And it was like, oh, I'll do it in a minute. I'll do it in a minute. I'll do it in a minute. I'll tell you, if you want to know how precious your time is with your kids is is in a, a bit of broken home. And I have an amazing relationship with my ex-wife. She's an amazing woman. And, you know, we have a brilliant relationship with the kids. There's never, never any issues with that at all. But it's imperfect. So you're not, they're not there all the time. You're not there all the time. And suddenly every minute becomes so gold dust to you because you want to absorb everything. You want to hear everything. You want to, you want to know how they are. And, and in a terrible way, it made me a better dad because I'm, I feel like I've become really present in their life, you know, and I, when I'm not with the kids, I FaceTime them relentlessly, which I'm sure, uh, you know, they're always, they're too gorgeous to say so, but probably annoys them a little bit, but I just, (laughs) I just want to be there. Like, you know, I want to be part of it and be present and hear about their stuff. And, and going back to that thing of like, their stuff is more important than my stuff. But that that imperfection for them, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know what's to come in future years around that, you know. I, I, I just, I'm just going to do my absolute best yeah. to be as present as I can with my kids right now. And I know you said you you struggled at the the beginning of this, Luke, and it is that it's that real. You can tell it's that real quality time that you are now spending, you know, with them, and. Was part of your struggle at the beginning feeling like you were maybe missing out on really precious little moments that come day to day in the house? Was that was that one of the things that you found difficult to sort of get over? Yeah, de- definitely. The, the one, and I'd be interested for for other parents who are listening to this from divorce homes, think that the one thing that really snags at me is when I know they're upset about something and I'm not there. Mm. I mean, that makes me emotional to think about now, but it's like you want to, in those moments, you want to just wrap your arms Mm. around your kids, don't you? And you, if you're not there, that's, that's a tough one. And the guilt is just, and, and where does that guilt come from? You know, divorce is a complicated thing. Ha- you know, it's it's not it's, it's never a simple matter. And it, the guilt is not from like, okay, you're directly responsible for this or not. It's not like that. It's, it's multi layered, but it's I, and I'm only exa- saying explaining it from my experience. It's just that wanting to to wrap your arms around them and go, it's okay. You know, mm. we're all good. You've got this. I love you. You're amazing. And if you're, if you're, if there's a moment when you're not quite there for that, that, mm. that stings a bit. Yeah, no, I can tell. And I can, I can only imagine what that is like. And the, the lines of communication. So I think this is quite an important one as well. I've, 
I've got this with my my nephew who he's he's not had uh, a father in his life since he was one years old and at the time I was living back at home and he's just started high school so he's now 11 and I've almost been like a dad to him you know through the years and he's my first nephew and I've you know I was there for his early years and I've helped bring him up and do so much with him and now he's 11 and uh, I'm not there all the time but I want to be and I want him to think of me and I sent him a, a voice note when I was in hospital last week of I want him to come to me with anything I want him to feel like you know I'm his uncle and he can he can bring anything to me and he's a very quiet and shy you know young man but he's grown up in this modern world of social media and he's an only child and he lives at home with my mum and my sister who's his mum and I think the line of communication is quite important. So for me, I know, I sent him a voice note. At the minute, he's probably not capable of sending me one back and articulating his feelings. And I knew that going into it. And I wouldn't have been at that age. I was a really quiet, shy kid. But I said to him, anything that you want to tell me, write it down in a text message. Write it down in whatever form that you want to you know, put it in just so that you're not bottling that up. And I think I think that's really important for, for parents and young, you know, young people is sometimes we expect them to talk back in a manner that, you know, we're capable of talking back. But actually, you know, you might say to them, look, go and write down everything that's going on at the minute and I'll read it or go and do this or go and do that. And I found that with him just opening up that different line of communication because I've struggled face to face, struggled on the phone. But actually, when I said to him, you know, just text me and just write some stuff down, he's much more comfortable in doing that. And that's fine. And if that allows him to come to me with things and it's a, you know, it's a, something written down on a phone, then I've opened that line of communication that wasn't there before. And I think that's really important for when, you know, when you're not there day to day, because I'm not there every single day in his life. And I want to be like a father figure to him. But that line of communication, I, I've, I feel like we've managed to get there. But I think that's super important when you're, you're not there day to day. That sort of relates to being a stepdad in many ways. Mm. It, it's, you know, if I've got two stepsons, one of I've known since a baby. So I've been, I've been in his life for as long as he can remember, essentially. And mm. if, you, if you ask him how many daddies he he's, has, he says he's got two daddies. And it's super sweet. He, call, he calls me Daddy Luke and he calls his dad Daddy Sebastian. And, you know, I'm not his real dad, but, you know, I, I obviously have a super important role for him. And, and with my eldest stepson, he's he was a bit older when I first met him. So he's had the experience of being a little bit older around the whole stepfather thing. But it's what you're talking about is very, very, very important and very much relates to being a stepfather. And it's that thing of, we don't own our children. We They're going to hear, they need good role models. So as a stepfather, he's not my child, but it doesn't mean that I don't have a super important role in their life, just like you do with your nephew to provide mm. that male role model, that line of communication. And I, do you know what? I think it even goes further. If, if, if my kids have friends around the house, you know, they're, they're just friends of my child or, or stepchild how I am around them as a man 
as a father is again super important. You yeah. know that that they're they're going to get that influence, and again, it's not about ownership of children. They're going to get experiences and influences from all around the place, and so it's not just about accepting that your kids are going to get that. It's also accepting the responsibility that as a man to go. This is how I need to be, whether they're my children or not, because there's no no ownership of it. Sorry, Luke. I'm chucking a really personal question on you here, but. Where did you get your idea of parenting from or your style of parenting from? I know it's very authentic, but did you have people in your life that you looked at growing up and thought, wow, I really like the way they do this or I really like the way they make me feel or I really like the level of comfort or you might go the opposite like I was where it was like, I haven't had this, so I'm going to make sure that my children get this, if you know what I mean. So like the, I know we're going to do an episode on sort of male influences, but the kind of parenting influences you might have seen, whether it was your own or or other people. It's a really good question. It's not a straightforward answer, I I don't think for me. I've got two really loving parents. I was super close to my mum when when I was little and, and, you know, I, I have a real connection with her now. I have done all my life. I went to boarding school when I was when I was young. And I think that had an influence on on how things played out. You know, it's, yeah. it's part of what's made me the man I am today. So I'm not I'm not rubbing it out or, you know, in any way. It's just part of my journey, but it certainly had an influence on me. But I came from a loving home, you know, I came from a a privileged home in, in many ways, you know. I'm I'm not I I didn't come from a working class background I've, I've traveled the world with my parents and and been gone to private school etc you know I've, I've had that around me I think the biggest influence for me on my parenting it's not necessarily come from something that's happened within my own parenting I think it's what's it's happened to me as a person my own breakdown and going to rehab in 2011 I think a lot of it stemmed from then. My children were only a year and a half old then, around that kind of age. And they don't remember that. But, you know, me, me kind of falling apart as a person entirely and having to rebuild myself and understand what's important and not, what's not important and my values and attitudes around life, I think that had a huge impact on how I wanted to then be as a parent because it almost reset my value system and I'm really grateful for that because prior to rehab, I wasn't a great dad. You know, I wasn't. I'm, I'm very fortunate the kids are so little they don't remember that. I'm not proud of it. You know, I'm. I'm but I kind of got a, a chance to reset and go, okay, this is the type of person I want to be to go forward. This is the type of father I want to be to go forward. And I mean it. I don't know if you, I know you didn't go to rehab, but for you, you know, yeah. getting sober as well, I'm guessing that kind of reset things for you in many ways about the type of person you want to be and the type of dad you want to be. Is that, would that be fair? A hundred percent. And it was, um, and she was my biggest driving force to do that. And, you know, I never, I never, she was very young when I was drinking as well. And she never saw me in, you know, a state or she never saw me in, you know, in a drunken state. But my biggest thing about getting sober was, right, I've got an opportunity here for her to never, ever see me in that state and to never feel like her dad's out of control, to always feel like her dad's the same person no matter what happens. He's really consistent. He's not 
Monday to Friday, he's he's my dad. And then at the weekend, he turns into this different person. I'm getting, I know exactly what I'm getting from him every single time. And then there was also an element of, right, I can, I can always be the dad on a Sunday morning that's got the energy to go to the park and actually be there in the park. Because I would take her on a Sunday, but I'd be hungover and I'd be there out of guilt and not really there. I wasn't really playing with her, but I can be that guy. If she needs me in any kind of emergency, I'm in a fit state to drive and I'm in a fit state to, you know, if I'm away from her and she's upset, maybe I can get there or maybe, yeah, I just, I just wanted her to know exactly what she was getting from her dad and not to be worried about me. Uh, that's uh, you know I want I was always worried about parents and what was going to happen but having that level of pure stability and security that that really was my driving force it was like right she's always going to get this this version of me no matter what and I think that's priceless for you know for her growing up yeah mate it really is and it's a kind of wind the clock forward for you um my son said to me a, a while ago I'm I'm in my 12th year of sobriety. I think it was when I was maybe when I did the 10 year mark and we were talking about it. And uh, he said to me, you know, it's a bit of a flex, isn't it, dad? <laughs> Just quickly to, to say, I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> He's like, it's a bit of a flex, isn't it? I, I, and I was like, what's a flex? And he was like, well, it's it's like, it's quite cool. It's quite, you know, that you've not drunk for 10 years. and I And I was like, Oh, that is, that's priceless that, because obviously I, what you've just said is just a hundred percent where I was coming from, but then for your kids to go, I quite like that. That's cool. It was really mm. nice. And I'm sure Nelly's going to feel like that in, in, uh, in future years when she's old enough to kind of bring it all together. Have, um, have you had the question, Luke, of, you know, we said, we said before about not putting our shit onto our kids just quickly. Mm. Have you had the question of, oh, would you let your kids drink? And that literally comes under that putting your shit onto your children's shit. And it's like, I've had that before where people have said, oh, what about when Nelly gets to this age? You know, will, will, will you let her have a drink or will you let her do this? And I'd like to get your your thoughts on that as your, your children are 14. But I'm, I always feel like if I say, right, you are not drinking and this is a house where we don't drink and all that kind of stuff. I know exactly what happens with young young teenagers when you try and force that kind of thing on them. But for your son to say that's a flex, he's seeing certain behaviours there and he's going, oh, actually, that's pretty cool. You know, I feel like I can never say to my daughter, right, you can never, ever touch alcohol. And I would never do that anyway. But I'd, I'd hope that she'd pick certain things up and she'd look and go, actually, it's pretty cool. But she has to go and live her life and make her own decisions and she may not drink in the way that I did. And, you know, she may have to make certain mistakes and I may have to let her go and, and all that kind of stuff. And and I'm very, very happy to do that. But I have had that question on quite a few <laughs> occasions. And yeah, I'd like to know your thoughts again. Do you know what? I don't think I have had that question. And it's a great one. Mm. And it fits so well into what we're talking about. You're, you're absolutely right. You know, that for Albie and Emily, their their mum drinks and not and really healthily, which is really, you know, no no dramas at all with that, has a good relationship with alcohol and it, yeah. it works really well for her in her life. The way I see it is it's it's about me being honest with them about my experiences and what's happened to me. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm I'm really far from it. I'm a, I'm really proud of it that I have I've yeah. 
yeah. honest enough to know that alcohol doesn't work for me, makes me a person I don't want to be, and a cycle of behavior that get, brings out the worst version of me. I don't want it again in my life. I, it's not. It's not about alcohol. I don't want that person, me, that version of me, back in my life. Not at all. And I think it's um, it's about being honest to share that experience with them, and that that this can happen, but it's their journey. They can they can they might have a relationship with alcohol that their mum has, you know, and and that's totally cool. I'm hundred percent with you. Mm. The the only slight dynamic for them, which is slightly different, is that they they have type one diabetes, which kind of the alcohol consumption will, will be something that needs to be a bit careful about that. But I'm with you. It's it's a great example of like my shit isn't their shit. You know, I don't own them, so therefore I don't go. Well, I don't drink, mm. so you don't drink. It's not. It's not at all. It's just my experience. Being honest about it, they can learn from it and go from there. Right, I've got one more question for you, Fraser. But I'll do this one first. But I think uh, I, I think this is a really interesting one. The last question is how we find disciplining our child as a dad. And um, I think this is a really interesting one because disciplining your child, in my opinion, is, is always going to be there. You've, you've got to be able to create boundaries for children to know what, what they can do and what they can't do, what it's, what's safe and what's not safe when they're uh, treating things with respect and when they're not treating with things with respect, whether they're polite or not polite. I, in my opinion, that is, that's always going to be there. But it's quite a, a sensitive topic because, especially as a dad, because you, you know, whether you raise your voice or you don't raise your voice, how you put that discipline across, I, I think it's a, a really interesting uh, not dilemma, but I think a lot of parents are kind of thinking about it all the time and how they discipline it. And and if, you know, there's a parent out there who's never raised their voice to their child, again, amazing. But I can't say I haven't ever raised my voice, but it's it's the context of when the voice is raised and how it's done and, and, and everything around it that I think is the super important thing. So I, I think that the other challenging part of discipline is the role that a mum and a dad play within discipline and a role that a mum and dad play within a household. And what I think is really difficult is when you're trying to do both, you know, so you're trying to uh, traditionally mum comforts, dad is more, more sets the boundaries traditionally. I'm not saying that that has to exist forever, but if you're trying to do both, that's very difficult, isn't it? You're trying to set the boundaries. You're trying to comfort. It's a kind of quite mixed messages. And I think for single parents who don't have assistance from their partner, hats off to you but I think there's an interesting dynamic there but for me disciplining is and the disciplining sounds a bit too strong but boundary setting I suppose probably has to always exist and I think the father plays a really important role in doing that but the most important thing is you have to live that that you are trying to put onto your child if you're not living yourself with that integrity or that value that you're putting onto your child, then it becomes a very difficult conversation. You know, you're always late and then you tell your child off for being late. You're not always respectful to women and then you tell your child off for not being re respectful to, to a woman. It becomes impossible. 
I think there are times when you will raise your voice and you won't want to, and it doesn't mean, and I don't, definitely don't condone screaming and shouting. I don't think that's a sign of strength at all, especially in a man. I think the louder you shout is actually a sign of weakness. If, I, if you're able to give your message across without needing to raise your voice, I think that's a sign of a really strong man for sure. But there are going to be times when you, you can't quite help yourself and, it, and it, you get pr- pressed at the wrong time and you raise your voice. But I think in that moment, if that raising of the voice is one in which the context is, this is unusual for my parent, they love me, I've probably pushed them a little bit too far and it doesn't mean that they don't love me, I'm not secure. I, I think it's a, that versus it being the norm, screaming and shouting is a definite, definite no-no for me. But I think that fundamental bit of are you living what you're preaching that's got to be the key. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the I think that children pick up on that as well. And they will be the first to tell you, well, you do that. Well, you do that. And especially as they get older in those teenage years. But when you are setting that example and you're living those values, they don't have any way to turn. But those those values will, you know, they'll they'll pick them up as well. And without even realizing they're picking them up, they'll see how the dad treats their mum or how how hard their dad works or their mum works or if they're on time or if they're not on time. And I agree with you with the screaming and shouting. I really, really, I don't like it. And I'm not saying I've never raised my voice. And when I have raised my voice, it's made me feel awful afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, as you said before, it's usually a reflection of what's happening with me. So I'd have had a difficult day or something stressful going on. And Nelly's going, daddy, 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 daddy. And I'll go, wait a minute. As soon as that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh my God. And I can see a little face. And I think one thing that I've got really, really good at is um, is owning that and apologizing as quickly as I can. And I think that's a big part of, you know, the, the step work that, you know, that I've been through and that you've been through as well. But I know very, very quickly when I've made a mistake and when I have sort of let myself down, I think disciplining a four-year-old, it is it is very similar and it is living those values. It's instilling those messages. But one thing I've been really conscious of, and I've done quite a lot of reading on this, is labeling. So saying you're naughty or you're this or you're that and a child thinking I'm naughty or I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that or I do this when just a really, really subtle change in that is you're behaving naughty or you're behaving this way, you not you are. And yeah, I've done quite a lot of reading on that. And there's an example that I use and it's it's different and it's more lighthearted, but I got labelled as a kid really, really early on and my family will laugh about this. But I was probably about six or seven and pretty clumsy at times. Um, you know, I'd run into things and drop things and smash plates and drop cups and that kind of thing. And <laughs> my granddad nicknamed me Clubby. And it was a name that just, and it was like Fraser's Clumsy. And I just, and I grew up believing it. And I've always believed it for years and years and years. That I'm very clumsy and I drop things. And I, but actually I got to about, literally about, <laughs> To about 22 and I was in my own apartment and um, 
know, my granddad was still around. My mum was still around, like is, is around and stuff doing DIY. Fraser can't do that. He's, he's clumsy or he's clubby. And I was like, I'm not. I just, I dropped a few things. <laughs> as like a seven year old. <laughs> and yeah, there were a few incidences after that, but that little label, I grew up just believing I'm clumsy. I'm clumsy. I'm clumsy. I actually saw Deli Alley talk about this in his, he did a podcast on a diary of a CEO and he talked about being a naughty kid and his therapist said to him, don't ever call yourself that, you weren't a naughty kid and change that sort of narrative and change that labelling of you may have behaved a certain way at times or you may have done this. But he grew up believing, I'm a naughty kid, I'm a naughty kid, I deserve this, I deserve to be punished, I deserve this. And it wasn't until he's, what what must he be now, 26, 27, and he's had to go to therapy to realise that he's not a naughty kid. And I think so many, so many of us grow up, you know, with those labels that really stick as kids. And yeah, it's something I'm conscious of when I'm, you know, disciplining Nelly of saying, you're not naughty, you're not, you know, I hear parents say, you're silly or you're stupid. And I'm like, that kid's taking that on and that becomes part of the narrative and, it's up to us as parents to try and educate ourselves as best we can around those kind of things. But yeah, I thought that was a funny example to use, but I'd say when disciplining, you know, Nelly, I definitely watch out for for labels. And, and again, I watch out for my own myself because a lot of the times when I do raise my voice, it isn't down to what she's done. It isn't her fault. It's all to do with me. And if I can stop myself from doing that, or if I do do it and I can really, really quickly address that and put it right and say sorry, then that's the best that I can I can do. And all I can do is just try and improve on that. But I have that awareness, which is one of the one of the main things I think around it. Yeah, mate, hundred percent. I think you're spot on. I, that labelling side of things is it's it's so true. It's kind of then. You know, it applies to adults as well, but, you know, where you, you then, your identity becomes your mistakes, you know? So you are stupid because someone has said that because mm. you've made a mistake uh, or you've done something that wasn't wasn't the best option to do. And then it's like, well, you're, that's your identity. That mistake has become you. And then in a child, it's super sensitive to that. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. There was interesting, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about childhood. Uh, it was with Gabor Mate. I don't know if you've you've read much of, of him. I love him. Listen to him. He's, yeah. Yeah. Phenomenal. Maybe one of the leading experts in addiction in the world. You know, incredible, incredible guy. He was talking about childhood trauma and that children are essentially really kind of narcissistic. They think everything's about them. So even if they're not being told off, but they hear screaming and shouting in the house or there's disruption. They think it's about them. They think it's that they've done something wrong. And that's where a lot of childhood trauma comes from. And, and it's that kind of raised voices, screaming, shouting scenario, which, you know, the adults have lost any sense of awareness at that moment of how that's being received. Like you're saying, like that label by the child, the child is going, this is about me. I've done something wrong. And in, in becomes a childhood trauma, but that raised voices thing is, is a really, I, I kind of want to bring it up because I think it's, people are a bit nervous too at times. I, I feel exactly like you when it, if, it, if I've ever raised my voice and it's, I'm not by nature like that. I don't believe that's where strength is. I don't raise my voice in, and anything I'm needed to do, I just think it's a sign of weakness. If ever it's happened, I get that immediate 
feeling of guilt that I've, I've, I've got it wrong. But I also think it's important to say that I think it, no one, none of us are perfect and parents are going to raise their voices at times when they've just been pressed too hard. We're human beings. It's, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It doesn't mean that you've got it wrong. If it's, if it's a one-off and it's done because you've been pushed a bit too hard and, and, and it's not going to reflect back in that same way that the child goes, oh my God, this is a huge incident. I think it's important to say that because I, I, maybe even I'm speaking for myself, I think we beat ourselves up a bit when that happens going, oh my God, we've done this wrong, but we are human beings. That's a hell of a conversation for us to have. I've got so much from that personally. Uh, I don't know, Fraser, how it's felt for you, but that's that's covering a lot within what we talk about, what we don't talk about. You've asked me questions that you've never asked me before. I, th- I think it was a great conversation. Uh, I was just I was just thinking because I know that we're wrapping up, and I, I've never ever had a conversation like that before. I've never spoken about fatherhood like that before. I've never spoken about parenting like that before, and. This is this is what we're here for to do and try and if we can get two blokes listening to this, you know, that aren't us and they can go, you know, have a coffee or go to the pub, whatever they might do and just chat about some of these things. I just think, you know, I, I come away from here and I'm like, wow, I've never I've never even I never even knew that I felt like that until I've just got that out there, really. And then you learn so much from the other person and you pose questions and you talk about things that can help the other person you know you never know what your friend's going through and I think so much of my conversations with real genuine friends have been really surface level and I've not delved into topics like this and I don't think we feel that comfortable doing so I feel like we think our mates will take the mick out of us if we do but I think this is why we're here and why we want to just try and instigate these conversations because I they they help and um yeah i've never spoken to anyone like that before about this so no thank you mate i've taken a hell of a lot from that thank you do you know do you know also that i reckon you know we get messages about the podcast but not often people do it privately which is which is totally cool i think it's um absolutely within someone's prerogative but i i was never sure when we started this podcast and i it'll be i don't know where it's going to end up or how it will grow but Never sure whether we'd be dominated by male listeners or female listeners. Obviously, a podcast about men stuff, you'd think probably is going to attract a lot of men. And I, I think it probably is. But but the message is so far, I reckon we've had 50% from women mm. because they've got sons or they're trying to, you know, they find it interesting from a, an overall perspective anyway. And I think that's amazing. So we're here talking about fatherhood, but mm. I, there'll be mums listening who who might well gain a lot from it and understanding about fatherhood or or even understanding about motherhood within it all which is which is awesome I, I still do a lot of work in sport and I know that head of education at Chelsea sent our episode of male insecurity and sex around to the whole academy to from the what? 16s to the 21s so that's been passed into their whatsapp group and it's up to them whether they listen or not but he listened to it and just thought you know these young lads could really do of listening to this so yeah, he shared that with me yesterday and I just wanted to, yeah, to put that in as well. So I was really chuffed with that. Yeah, I love that. Brilliant.
Thanks, Fraser. And thank you for listening to the Understanding Men podcast. As always, you can find us on all social media platforms, including Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be promoting each episode via our own personal social media and via the the podcast accounts. Uh, So please feel free to come and find us. Tell us what you think, what you want us to talk about. As we've always said, we want it to be as interactive as possible. Also, if you've liked what you've heard, then please go ahead and hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. And lastly, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating because it will help others find us. So thank you and goodbye for now.